This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. Amen. Hallelujah. Thanks, George. Hello, guys. It's uh, a wonderful privilege to be here with you guys this morning. Um, this morning, my wife said, shouldn't you take your little pullover? And I'm like, no, no, it's okay. I'm not okay. It's a bit cool. So uh, thanks for joining us. My uh, youngest son, is uh, it's his birthday today. So he's turning four this morning and we sang for him. And, uh, and my wife was like, you know, didn't you think ahead when you said yes to go and preach in Stellenbosch? <laughs> so you guys have got some special time this morning. Um, and uh, I just want to, to bless you um, with a word that uh, the Lord has laid on my heart uh, a while back. And uh, you know, I feel like a, a traveling preacher. I preach this in, in Armanus as well, but it's just something that the Lord has really stirred in me and I want to share it with you. So uh, just before we start, I want you to, to talk to one another. <clears throat> so... Say to the person next to you, who do you like to work with? Go. All right, so, so that's the easy one. Now the more difficult one. Who don't you like to work with? You can make it hypothetical if you want to. If the person is sitting next to you, you look and speak about a hypothetical person. All right, so... uh, Most of us will have people that we like to work with and people that we don't like to work with. But the question is why? But you don't have to answer that. You you can just answer in yourself. But why do you like to to work with certain people? And why don't you like to work with other people? I mean, that's just life. And the title of my sermon this morning is Messy People, Mighty God. We are working with people. Always. Unfortunately for some of us. <laughs> but this morning, I love it when the, when the Bible speaks. You know, the Bible is one of the, you know, all of the, the religious books that you find. You know, the Bible is the one that's not sugarcoating anything. You know, most other holy books, if you want to call it, they kind of sugarcoat, you know, make things better. The Bible doesn't do that. The Bible gives us the stories just as they are. All of the heroes of the faith that we know about, they have got some serious deficiencies, people. And we read about it. There's some issues in their lives, and we see it. And that's what what I love about the Bible. And so this morning, I want to tell you about one of those stories. And uh, it's, uh, it's about a fight. And not like a holy war you know, fighting, spiritual battle type of fight. No. A fight 
between people. Have you seen one of those in the Bible? I'm going to speak to you about one of those. So, uh, I want to speak about two people, or three people actually. And uh, when I speak about, well, I'm, just, I'm going to speak about Mark, but they call him John Mark mostly. So when I say John Mark, it's the same, same person. Okay, so I just want to fix it in your heads. And I'm going to speak about Paul, and I'm going to speak about Barnabas. So those are the three main characters for this morning. And uh, it's come, I'm going to jump around a little bit just to give you background regarding the story, because we, you need to, to understand the background of the story, you know, to understand what is going down here. Sorry, I'm, I'm really loud this morning. It's kind of intimidating for me. I'm, I'm loud usually. But now I'm just resonating through everything here. So uh, please forgive me if I'm a little bit more in my place this morning. All right, so we find here in, in, in Acts 15, there's the story. You can go and read that. But uh, we, we find here a leader of the early church, Barnabas, and obviously most of us know Paul, another one. Um, and then we see there that they have had a difference right there. But when, before we get to that story, I want to give you a little bit of, of background regarding that. And uh, in Acts 12 verse 25, we learn that Barnabas and Saul brought a young man named John Mark back to Antioch with them from Jerusalem. Now, Mark's mother's name was Mary, and she had a house in Jerusalem that we find in Acts 12, verse 12. Um, that was the one where the disciples were praying when Peter escaped from prison. Okay, so they were praying. We know the story. You know, Peter is in jail. They're praying for him. I don't know how they prayed, because when he, when he pitched up, they didn't believe it. You know, he came there, and the servant girl went to answer the door, and she says, Peter's at the door. They said, shush, man, come and pray. It cannot be him. Maybe it's just a vision of him. Anyway, so it was in that, that house. That was John Mark's house. That was Mark's mother's house. So when we read about these people, they were in the thick of things. They saw a lot of things happen and a lot of miracles that God has done. So then we learn from Colossians 4 verse 10 that Mark and Barnabas, they are cousins. So, you've got some cousins, you know how that works. I'm not going to explain it to you. So, Mark and Barnabas were cousins. And then, when the Holy Spirit appoints Barnabas and Saul to be missionaries from Antioch in Acts 13 verse 2, Barnabas and Saul decide to take John Mark along as an assistant. Okay, so that's now the background of our story. Now we get to Acts 15:36. So these two mighty men, Barnabas and Saul, they decide, listen, here's a, a young man named George. I'm going to take, we're going to take him along on this missionary journey. Now I say, as Shelfa, we, we do a lot of missions. And, and here's a, a missions team from another country. Welcome, you guys. So lovely to have you guys here, serve here with us. Um, when we go, we take people along. We disciple people. So this is what happened here. So Paul and Barnabas, they decide, listen, we're going to take John Mark along on this missionary journey to Antioch. So here they go. And then something happens. 
We don't know what happens because Dr. Luke is not explaining to us what happens. He's just giving us facts. So it just said there, after they left Cyprus and they headed into Pamphylia, Acts 13 verse 13, it says, Now Paul and his company set sail for Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia, and then this sentence, And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. That's all we know about that story. So they're setting sail. Maybe John was missing his mama's food. We don't know. All we know is that they were setting out for a mission. He was with them. And then at the first stop that they came to, he decided, no ways, this is not for me. I'm going back home. Yo, yes. Many of us have felt like that before. I remember once I, was, uh, I grew up in the R, there in the middle of the country. And when I was about 11, 12 years old, you're always excited, you know, to, to go on some stuff as a young man. And my friend, his dad was in the army then. They had a camp and they could take the, the, the kids with. And I said, I want to go too. Oh, man, when I was sleeping in that tent when I was 11 years old, in the bush with some army people and their kids, I did not want to be there. I was missing my mama. And I wanted to cry. And I did cry. But I needed to be big. So maybe, you know, John Mark felt like that. And uh, he didn't go with him. Okay, so this is now where we pick up the story in Acts 15, 36. Because... Two or three years later, because that was now the, the background story to what happened. So two or three years later, we find Acts 15.36. After this first missionary journey is over, the Jerusalem council had been settled. You know, they've written a letter to the Gentiles and all of that. You, you, you can read that in, in Acts 15, the first part of it. Then Paul is convinced that this is the right time to take that first missionary journey and go and strengthen all the people that has been converted to the faith on that first missionary journey. And he said, right, let's go. And then we find this. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, come, let us return and visit the brethren in every city where we have proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. And Barnabas wanted to do what? Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought it best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them. He's remembering two or three years back now at Pamphylia. And had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a big fight. There arose a sharp contention. So that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. Hoo-ha. There's a fight right there. And the big thing about these two guys is they didn't meet each other yesterday, people. They were friends, you know, you can give or take anywhere between 13 and 15 years. And not just friends. You know what they've been through? They were best friends, good friends, wonderful people, godly men. 
And then something like this happens. They get into a contention about a person. A young man named John Mark. So, which one of them was right? Any takers? I don't know. Deval, please tell me. Okay. I will tell you. But you'll have to make up your own minds after I've told you a lot of other things. So, when we look at John and Barnabas and, and Paul, you see two different kinds of people there. For those of you who know, Barnabas' name actually means son of encouragement. That is what he does. He is a son of encouragement and everybody loves to be around him. Paul is different. Much different. Paul is straight man, he cuts to the heart, there's no messing around him, no gray areas in Paul's mind. Boom! This is your either white or your black man. There's nothing in between. Get over yourself. Come on. Any Pauls here today? No, you don't have to. No, no. Any Barnabases here? They're different. And we find this in Galatians 2, verse 11. But now this is Paul again speaking. And there's a, a much more serious run in that we find here. In Galatians 2 verse 11 to 14. Sometimes before the separation between, there was uh, this running, I just want to get to, to the Galatians 2 verse 11, sorry. But when Cephas came to Antioch, this is now Paul speaking, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he ate with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself fearing the circumcision party. And with him, the rest of the Jews acted insincerely. And then he says about his friend, so that even Barnabas was carried away by their insincerity. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, which is Peter, before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel Gentiles to live like Jews? In other words, Peter And Barnabas was condemned by Paul for what? Their hypocrisy. Because when you come to people one way, like yeah, this morning, all holy. Hello, my long lost friend. How are you doing? No, I'm well, I'm blessed. Too blessed to be stressed, my brother. And then you walk away from here and you think, I had to see that person again. I can't believe what she did to me. She's a hypocrite. Yeah, really. You're just as hypocritical as she is. The same thing happened here. Many times, these types of things happen when we are being brought into a place of fear of man. There's other friends with you. You kind of get pressured into doing something that you don't necessarily want to do. Now we'll get back to our story just now. Because here we see Barnabas has got a weakness. 
and that great men, they do go astray. Now Barnabas' weakness is that he fell for that thing. That thing that, that is actually his blessing, the people aspect, became his curse. Where he was so afraid of what the Jews might think when they came to the Gentiles where he was, that he was pulled aside by the hypocrisy as Paul writes it. Now you know what? And I'm not, I'm not perfect at all. None of us are. So this morning, I'm not giving anybody weapons to fight with. Because I can see some people sitting here. See, lovey, the sermon is for you today. Or the other way around. We're going to take six lessons that we can learn from the story so that we can see and so that we can make it part of our lives. So that you and I can become better disciples of Christ. But that you and I can also get off our high throne of judgment. So I'm trusting God to free some people here this morning. Many of us, we get so boxed in by stuff like this. That you sometimes feel not worthy or outcast or I shouldn't be here. I, I should be more like that guy. Because he does it this way. No. God has made you and I different. So the six lessons, the first one that we get there, it's already on, your, on the screen there, is that great men go astray. And we've seen... Barnabas is one, but Paul himself, he's he's writing about himself and he says, listen, when he gets to to an island where there's people and they heal the people there and they want to come and fall down and worship him. He says, listen, I'm a fallible human being just like you. Paul knows about his weaknesses. He knows about the stuff that gets him under. So he is not one that says, listen, I'm I'm here, I'm, I'm the man. He writes about it a lot. It's in Philippians 3 verse 12 and 1 Timothy 1 15. Paul confesses that he was a sinner and that he had not yet arrived to perfection. I love it how, how Paul can come to a place where he says, listen. And especially for many of us, our successes, mostly. There's two ways that you can get stuck in the past. The one is, You stagnate and you look back to the things that were great. Behind. Always looking back to the glory days, man. The glory days of being a student here in Stellenbosch and doing this and doing that. And Jesus did this through me and Jesus did that through me. You know what? You get people like that and they tell you their testimonies of 10, 15 years back. You know where they stuck at? They stuck 15 years back. Another way that you can get stuck is when it's really bad in your past. 
seen people like that too. It's kind of like, oh, Deval, you know what God delivered me of? This and this. And you know how bad it was? It was this bad and it was this bad. Now, I'm fine with you sharing your testimony and then God bringing you into a better place. That's awesome. But many people are stuck with their pain, man, of the past. Oh, my pain, my pain. Your pain is so big, Jesus can't even forgive you. Jesus can't even heal you. You get stuck in your past. This is what I love about Paul. He says, listen, if it's good or bad, I make myself loose from that and I stress myself forward to what comes. Loose yourself from the stuff that keeps you stuck in the past. Be it great or be it bad. Christ has come to heal us, to set us free, to make us like Paul. I'm stretching myself forward to those things that are ahead. So, that's the first point is that great men go astray and all of us have got the tendency, if you are more like a Barnabas type, a Barnabas type of person, you know, we get to a, a and I'm, I'm kind of more like that, my poor wife, but my great wife, she's not like that. Mostly we marry people that are not like us. Any amens? Yes, hallelujah. 90, more than 90% of people marry people that are different than them. If you go and plot my wife and I on a scale, we will be opposites, man. And that is awesome. That is amazing. Because from that place of being so different, the glory of God comes to the fore like you cannot believe. In Genesis already, God says, I'm going to make you, man, into my image. How will that look? Man and woman, I've created them. In holy matrimony, there's not a better picture of God in this earth than a man and a a husband and a wife married in, I almost said communion, but that's also fine, in covenant with God, that is a, a perfect place to see godliness between a man and a woman that is married before God. So, the second one is, there's a reality that we find, which is that of judgment calls. There's not a scripture that you will find inside of the Bible that says, Deval, this morning you should dress in your petrol blue pants here and and put on this jacket. And that's just a silly example. But there's a lot of stuff in the Bible. We've got points of prudence. And I'll get to that now. But when you look at it, you can make it go either way, man. And all of the the great theological stuff that we can fight about many times, it's just how you're wired. If you're wired this way, you say, no, 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 this is what the scripture says. If you're wired this way, you say, no, 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 this is what the scripture says. Who's right? So the ministry is made up of a lot of judgment calls. When we minister to people, when we look at things, it comes through all of our filters that we've got. Now, there's wisdom in Scripture. There are Scriptures there that you need to apply when you make decisions, when you look at things. So back to our story, there's no Scripture 
that says when a young missionary has forsaken the work on his first mission trip, that you shall not give him another chance or that you shall give him another chance in 18 months' time. There is no such scripture. But what we do find in scripture is encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. On the one side, another principle is the glory of God. It says, where is that now? I missed it. Thou shalt not commit adultery. That is something that is, is spoken. So Paul would say, listen, one of the, I'm just going off the top of my head here. Paul would say, listen, when you've put your hands to the plow, you are not worthy if you t- turn back and go away. That is also a scripture in the Bible. So from that place, you get two people looking at scripture saying, listen, the one says we must give him another chance. Yes, my sister, at least you watched some, some Isidingo or some, some great movies. No. Give him another chance. Sorry. Let's get back here. So on, the, on, the, on that end, encourage the faint-hearted. Barnabas says, listen, we must give John another chance. Paul says, listen, he has put his hand to the plow and he's pulled back. He's not worthy. I'm not taking him with. Who's right? Points of prudence things that you can see in Scripture. Matthew Henry calls points of prudence, and he says, even those that are united in one and the same Jesus and sanctified by one and the same Spirit have got different apprehensions, different opinions, different views, and different sentiments in points of prudence. It will be so while, it will be so while we are in the state of darkness and imperfection. We shall never be all of one mind until we come to heaven where light and love are perfect. So that's what Matthew Henry says in his commentary. Acts fifteen thirty eight says, actually that word that Luke uses there to describe Paul's conviction that Mark should go fits this idea. He says, but Paul did not count it fitting or proper to take along one who had withdrawn. It was a point of prudence from the way that Paul looked at the things, he said, listen, I don't find it fitting or proper to take one with me that is withdrawn from the call of God. And Barnabas looks at him and says, listen, there's massive potential in this young man. I can see it. Paul, listen to me, man. He's got massive potential. We must take him with. We must give him another chance. And Paul's like, no. And that was what the big difference was about. A point of prudence from two different types of people that looks at the same situation and makes 180 degrees different derogatives, derivatives, whatever, from that. And it got so fierce that they split up their friendship of 14 years because neither man was going to budge on his conviction. Now, there's some, some good news coming. Just, just hold on. Third one, and we've spoken a little bit about that already, is the vulnerability. 
of uh, Sons of Encouragement. And won't take too much time regarding that. But I'll just share one personal story here. When you are a more, and I don't want to box, please, after this sermon, don't box people. Okay? May my words of conviction fall into your heart if you try to box people. Oh, yeah, yeah, there's a Barnabas. Oh, yeah, yeah, there's a Paul. Don't do that. All of us, all of us declare the glory of God to the world. And we need one another. So what you should remember is, if you're either this way or that way, it doesn't matter. As long as you are opened in your heart and say, hey, I need you. And that's what I found out. When I started in ministry in Malmesbury, I was uh, just the man. The bee's knees, the one that has been sent there, because everything was what? Was in order and in place by the guy that was there before me. He did a wonderful job to set in place all of the systemic, systematic things and the structures and the programs were running 100%, man. It was amazing. I just walked in there and everything worked. And I could just be the valve. And then for two years, two and a half years, it was okay. And then the wheels came off badly. Because something that they they taught us, and uh, I'll teach people a little bit differently next time, is that when you go to a place, you find people that think like you think. That have got your heart. You know what? The people that that I chose were the ones that thought like me. Didn't have much differences in all of our leaders' meetings. My poor wife. Hallelujah. When she, she said something and everybody's like, no, 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 that's a bad idea. But it was actually a great idea. We just filtered it differently and said, no, 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 no. We'd rather do this. And then through that, the whole thing, God came and he showed me and said, Deval, you know what you need? You need people that think differently from what you think. I was like, okay, God. So I got people onto my leadership team that really rubs me the wrong way. (laughs) It is tough sometimes. But I need that. If I only go with the people that I like to, you know what? You're going to have half a revelation. You're going to be so holy huddle, everything is nice. There's no, nothing, everything's going to fall on the ground on this side. But we are, we are going to be tight, man. But we ain't going nowhere. We need to have a little bit of a plan. I'll tell you the story. My wife is amazing. She is is really awesome. We go to, I just said to my friend here, he comes from America. We're going to America in September for the first time, my wife and I. Now I go to the American embassy. And my wife has left everything into my hands, my capable hands. 
all of the things that's necessary, all of those things that needs to be there so that we can go and get our visas. Now again, I read the email and I print out the bare minimum of what is necessary, of what they ask. There is this little disclaimer here at the bottom that says, and all other documents that you deem necessary to you to prove your point. Why do we need to waste paper and <laughs> things like that? So we go to the to the, the embassy and uh, get in there. But but I was I was prepared, man. I've got my phone with me with all the documents on my phone, and I've got a flash disk that I've got all the documents, and so I'm fine. You go into that place. What do they take? Your flash disk and your telephone. It's not going in with you, man. So I am there with my little paper. Everybody's there with like stacks of stuff. And I'm standing there with my paper and my wife asks me, why do we have so few papers? But Jesus was good to me. They asked nothing. And I didn't waste paper. But I was inside, I was like, Deval, again. Why didn't you just print everything? You could have. I'm just wired differently. So, so hallelujah. Everything is fine. Okay. Back to you. The fourth thing that we need. We need a diversity of strengths, people. And I started to speak about it already. But we do need a diversity of strengths. If you really want to go someday, somewhere, then you need people that think differently. When we sit in our leadership meetings, sometimes I'm, I want to do things differently. And they say no. And then I want to say, but I am the pastor of this church. But wisdom is not in that. So Paul has got certain strengths that we see. Also certain weaknesses that come with that. Barnabas has got certain strengths that we see. But also weaknesses that come with that. The fifth thing, as I'm finishing this morning, so now it's only 15 minutes yet still. The first thing that we see here is don't rest on your past. Past experiences and past usefulness are no guarantees of future obedience, people. There's a, a scripture that, that gets written about Barnabas in Acts 11 verse 24. It says, and, and who of us would not be wanting, you know, somebody that writes about us to describe us as such. Listen. Barnabas was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Any takers for that one? Yes, please. He was a good man. He was faithful and full of faith. And God used him mightily in the church. He did wonderful things there. 
But then we get to Galatians 2. And how would you describe that Barnabas that you find there? Faithful and full of faith? And full of the Holy Spirit? No. He gets there to that place where he's now being hypocritical. And sometimes, maybe it's just a word for somebody here. You get agitated when people start to speak into your life. No, but. Yes, but. Leave the buts. Allow people to look at your life. Don't get so holy and so way up there that Nobody can speak into your life anymore. I'm a pastor of a church. Yes, I can pull rank and I can say, hey, you will do this and this and this. But that is silly. The people that are in my congregation are the ones that see my life. You don't see my life. You have to trust George and see us in them, allowing me here on this pulpit. They see my life. And not just hear what comes out of my mouth. And about two years back, a year and a half back, as you can hear, this, the jovial guy that I am, I had a, a little bit of a weakness in my mouth. Not really swearing, but just, you know, those boundary words. It's not really swearing, it's just harsh words, you know, in that place. Because then I felt cooler. People can relate to me, you know. People in the world can relate to me. That was the excuse that I gave myself. And then I read the scripture in Ephesians, I think, which says, don't let any foul word pass over your mouth. I'm like, okay. Reading the scripture for what the scripture says. And then after I read that, one of the leaders in my church comes to me and says, listen, and he was really nervous to do this. You know what? It's, it's really tough for people to go and speak to somebody that they perceive, you know, as the pastor or the leader because they don't know what's going to happen. And he comes to me and says, listen, Deval, there's this, this, this little thing that I want to share with you about you. And he just says, listen, Sometimes when you, you speak like you do, it really quenches the Holy Spirit inside of me. And now you can be stupid and arrogant and prideful and put that man down because you're the boss. Or you can humble yourself, listen to what the Holy Spirit has already spoken to you, and now confirming through another one, time to sit up and listen. And I said, thank you very much. What you're saying is right. God has already spoken to me about that and I'm sorry. And I had to repent before my congregation about my bad mouth. Live your life so that people can see it. Don't get so prideful and arrogant that people cannot speak into your life anymore, regardless of who you are. If you're a CEO of whatever business or what, it doesn't matter. Christ judges us. Through his word. 
and through people that is placed around us. Because they see your life. And when you see things, tell people in humility, not to go and gun them. Oh, see, I've got you. No. In humility, do that. All right, so Paul says, and I've already taken that, that scripture and, show, and shown it to you. This about Paul making yourself the lesson. Do not rest on your past. Loose yourself from what is in the past. Stretch yourself forward to that which is coming. The greater call that is in Christ Jesus for all of us. All right, and then the last one. A firm confidence in the hope of God's triumph. So if you take this story, this fight, this thing that happened between these great men, great leaders, we see three evidences from the life of Paul and Barnabas. The first one, that God has triumphed. Okay, so this is now the good news coming. 1 Corinthians 9, 6 says, Sometime after Barnabas and Paul has, has separated, Paul refers to Barnabas as a fellow worker who shares his life and labor. So there's a breach that has been healed. Because Paul is writing about him and says, listen, his life and his labor with, was with me. He's a fellow worker in Christ. He was not mad at him and says, yeah, but you know that, what, so and so. Don't listen to him. Then the second one in 2 Timothy 4 verse 11, Paul says to Timothy, and I want you to get this, 2 Timothy 4 11, Luke alone is with me. Get who? Get Mark and bring him with you. For he is very useful to me in ministry. Big bad Paul has also had a change of heart regarding John Mark. He has seen that which Barnabas has seen. And he is now saying, listen, bring that man to me because he's useful for me in ministry. Praise Jesus. And then the third thing that I want you guys to see from this story when there was a breach between these two great friends, mighty people working in God's ministry, none of them left the Great Commission when they had a difference. Barnabas took somebody and went off and what? He proclaimed the gospel of Christ. Paul takes somebody, he went and he proclaimed the gospel of Christ. Not one of them got offended in such a way that they left God and his work completely. Now, I want to ask you that question again. Who was right? Would we have had Paul, who've written so much of the New Testament for us, if it wasn't for Barnabas. Barnabas was the only disciple willing to give Paul a chance. He was still Saul there. All of the others were afraid. They've heard the stories about this guy killing everybody. Well, not necessarily killing them, dragging them to courts, but then flogged and maybe killed. 
for his zeal for God, for the Jewish Judaic system. Everybody that were of the way following Christ, he put into jail. They've heard those stories. And now Barnabas comes and says, hey guys, listen, wait. I've got somebody that I want to introduce to you. His name is Saul. And they're like, Saul who? No, that's Saul. Oh man, uh-uh. We don't want to die just yet. Barnabas' strength in what he sees in young leaders, he saw in Paul, he saw in Barnabas, and he was willing to put his life at risk for that person. Would we have had Paul? Yes, obviously God could have used other stuff, but it was primarily through the working of Barnabas in his heart and his encouragement and what he saw in Paul and saw then that we have him for the ministry. The other way around, let's go to, to, to John Mark's story, was that Paul and his heavy rebuke on John Mark that saved him for us, for the gospel, for the work of the ministry? Or was it Barnabas' openness to receive him back after he failed the first time? Both. We need both. Sometimes you need to have a rebuke. Like I did a while back again. To get you back into the path. Sometimes you need a second chance. You've messed it up. And you know you've messed it up. For you to to be condemned again because you have messed it up, that is not what you need. But that's why we need one another. So maybe there are some of you here today, you've messed it up. And you're struggling to get that second chance. Maybe somebody has said, no, 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 listen. You've started, now you've gone away, I don't want to have anything to do with you anymore. Today I'm standing here as Barnabas for you and say, hey, come. Come back. Come and have another chance. On the other side, some of us are here and we've grown so arrogant and so afraid of the people that our lives are not showing Christ anymore. We have become hypocritical. And for you, you need to hear today, stop messing around. Stop throwing grace over everything. Man up, stand up, repent and get back to Christ. So as the band comes up, our God, ultimately, through the messiness of who we are, brings forth His glory. It it blows my mind that God can use me, us, in this fallen state to bring about His purposes. I'm like, God, you are God. And you are amazing. And in this story that we find, we see that God comes and uses whichever one to bring forth His glory ultimately. So this morning, wherever you find yourself, and I mean it's it's, those are the extremes, come to God and say, God, I'm sorry for judging. Or saying, God, I'm sorry for departing. 
please help me to bring what I have. Because who you are and what you have, that is a blessing. You need to bring it. Some people will differ from it. Great. But bring it. If you do not bring it, it will be half a sandwich. We need the full sandwich. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.